This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the East Coast Offense Podcast. This is Chris Liss, rotowire.com. I'm going to be talking to Yahoo Sports, Dalton Del Don. This podcast is sponsored by FanDuel. You can go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, use my code RWPOD, sign up now. Special offer for new users, get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with a $25 deposit. You must sign up with my promo code RWPOD. That's more than $60 in value for just $25. Don't forget to use my code RWPOD, FanDuel.com. Every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. All right, Dalton, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I got my two biggest uh, money league drafts coming up, uh, both NFBC, one tonight and then one Sunday morning. So I'm ready for the real real games to start counting, but I got my two biggest drafts upcoming, so I'm getting fired up. Yeah, how do you afford those those leagues, man, after losing so much money betting football this year? Have to delve into my uh, daughter's college fund. Oh, nice, nice. It's yeah, I don't take a shot on that, but I need the money now. So, you know, I'll worry about that. I'll worry about that later. Yeah, absolutely. Live for today. I mean, the super volcano is coming anyway, right? I mean, the, the odds and either of our daughters that, that the world exists by the time they're in college, is it's it's low. Exactly. Right. It's like a, you know, having a kid is like having like a hundred year keeper league. You really going to worry about what happens in year a hundred? Yeah, I know. Especially I, I don't plan on living too long myself either. So yeah. they'll, they'll figure it out. I, it's pretty obvious that that's the case. Uh, <laughs> it could not be more obvious. All right, let's talk a little baseball. You know, there's some players that I tend to go after, and uh, and I start to obsess over them. So Byron Buxton, I have in four leagues, and I started doing some research. There was an article on ESPN on him the other day, what, what a good makeup guy he is, how he works so hard. He's humble. He's a nice guy. Uh, he's been unlucky uh, in the minors, gotten hurt a couple times, but everyone praises his attitude. Apparently, he was in, like, a cross-country drive with Paul Molitor, and they bonded, something like that I think I read. And they've gotten rid of Aaron Hicks already. And, you know, Paul Molitor is one of those guys that you never know if he's going to dick the player around and put some veteran scrub in there instead of him. But so it's good to get on his good side. And I think there's, you know, they've already said he's going to be the opening day center fielder. And they obviously want him to stay there. Obviously, if he hits 210, strikes out a lot and doesn't get on base, uh, he could get demoted. But I looked up, uh, just out of curiosity, his projection on Steamer. And it was the, I used the Steamer 600 because if you go to Fangraphs, and use their regular steamer projections. It's their own personal playing time projections that are baked in, which I don't like. But the steamer 600 gives everybody 600 plate appearances, which is good. And 
Basically, Buxton and A.J. Pollock have the exact same numbers, except that Pollock is projected to hit 282 and Buxton 259. What do you think about that? First of all, I'm glad to hear that 600 thing. I don't think I was aware of that tool because it is frustrating how much playing time Fangraph seems to ding. It's like every player is going to miss 150 at-bats or, or you know, finish with low 400s. It's weird how they do that. Um, Buxton has definitely not been my guy. Um, I gave you a hard time. I think he spent $17 on him in, in labor. Um, struggled, obviously, last year in the majors and in spring. I know spring performance, who knows, but really bad. I mean, at 593 OPS, 16 strikeouts, and 46 at-bats. But the stolen bases should give him a nice floor. And actually, in my home league, I just took him. He lasted all the way to the 22nd round. Guys that went right before and after him were like Josh Harrison and Corey Spangenberg. So at that point, I was fine with the upside. So now I am going to be a Buxton fan this year. And that's really interesting, the steamer projections. Yeah, I mean, 22nd round is a no-brainer. But I've been taking him when there's actually legitimate players around him, that it's actually costing something. Yeah, uh, and I just I just look at the Mike Trout situation. He's not going to do what Trout did, and Trout wasn't as bad as Buxton was last year in his cup of coffee. Trout had a bad cup of coffee in 2011, but he had some power when he came up that year. Um, and then, moreover, Trout was like a year ahead of Buxton in terms of the level that he was crushing. They both crushed each level in the minors, but Trout was even younger than Buxton was, who was also very young at some of those levels. So it, it's not a perfect parallel, but what is the parallel is – You'll see a guy get called up maybe when he's not quite ready for a small sample and do really badly, and it has very little bearing on what he's going to do the following year after a full spring training, a year older. And you know, not Buxton had barely gotten any high minors exposure when they kind of were fo- forced to call him up when Hicks got hurt, and uh, you know he didn't play very well. So I just think he could flop, but. Sometimes past performance is not a great indicator of what someone's going to do, and I think this is one of those cases. No, it's entirely possible. I mean, he's still right there in all the, the, the prospects list as the top guy in the game right there with Corey Seager. So cl- clearly he has the tools. Yeah. Anyway, so that's one guy I got a ton of. Um, another guy I just randomly have a lot of uh, is Deonor Navarro. He's always that catcher that I settle for when I punt that second catcher. And I, I don't know if Alex Avila and him will be in a strict platoon. Avila is terrible. I mean, he just cannot hit. And it's in Chicago in a good hitter's park. And Navarro can hit a little bit. And I think he may even get the – I think he may play against some righties too. So, I don't know. I just – just a random guy that I have a lot of. Last year that was John Lackey, and it worked out really well. Yeah, so we're in the League of Leagues together. It's a 14-team league. You start two catchers, and and you told me to drop Krasinski for Navarro, and I did it. So this is on you. He wasn't really on my radar, but, <laughs> right. you know, you do the AL-only formats, and I do the NL-only, so that's probably why that that happens. But, but um, yeah, I, I think he's, he could be on the wrong side of a platoon, but I hear you about Avila. So hopefully Navarro is just, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you only have him in two catcher leagues, right? Uh, yes, of course. Right. Okay. There's no all reason right. having a one catcher league, but I'm all my leagues are two catcher leagues except for the friends and family league. Oh, every one. Interesting. What do you, do you like that better? Yeah. I mean, I like being in var- different varieties of leagues, but yeah, I mean the one catcher league just destroys the value of any catchers. I mean, yeah, people I took Posey in the second round of friends and family. I mean, I, Pino and I were debating it on Twitter last night, but I wouldn't take Posey before the fifth round if it were a one catcher league. Yeah, I could see taking him a little bit ahead of that. But if you don't get him or Shorber, you might as well wait 10 rounds then because well, they're I mean, all – he'll be fine. D- d- how can it make sense to take Posey in the second round and I get Travis Darno in round 17 rather than taking Edwin Arcanacion or Jose Abreu in the second round 
And then, I, I mean, it's like, you're gonna, what, what first baseman are you going to get in round 17? You're going to get, like, Trumbo, who actually had got. You know, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't really see how it adds up math-wise. I think you're going to get a bet, more production out of the, you know, the catcher in round 17 and the second round first baseman than vice versa. Well, obviously, I totally agree that he's more valuable in a two-catcher format, but he was the biggest, the, the biggest discrepancy in value at any position between number one and number two, Posey was last year, and I could see him repeating that. But I do understand you're drafting stats, and with one catcher, it's just so easy to fill. Even those 10 through 15 or something, or you, you know, especially leagues that have short benches and you don't roster two, you could just fill, fill them in by, by adding later. So I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, and, and the thing of the difference between first and second doesn't really mean much on its own, right? Because if you have – say there's third baseman, right? There's four really elite third basemen this year. So the difference between Donaldson and Machado or whichever order you have them in is, is basically zero. But it doesn't mean it's not super important to get one of those guys versus the direct that is outside of the top four and certainly outside the top eight or nine. Yes, that makes sense. I got you. Yeah. No, I, I don't have Posey in any leagues yet, but, but in, in a two-catcher format, NFBC, if he fell to me in late second, I would definitely consider him. I took him in one of them in the 12. It, there's a small chance. So, okay, so here's the – I've been talking about this on the radio a lot, but I'm picking first in the uh, NFBC main. And it's so crazy because two years ago I picked first, last year I picked second, and this year I picked first. So it's pretty lucky. But I've really looked into the slot and what I'm going to do. And the obvious thing to do is to take Trout or Harper – and then get two really good pitchers at the turn because there'll be two good pitchers there. That's sort of just the obvious, right? It's just so easy to structure your team that way. But I really want to get Kershaw. I don't have him in any leagues, and I got this feeling that you know if Kershaw is really in one of those peak Pedro, peak Maddox runs, those five or six year runs where the best pitchers of all time are at their peak, and certainly seems like it. You almost have to have him to win the whole thing. Uh, you know, last year he struck out three hundred, and he but he only got fifteen or sixteen wins. He should get 22 wins. And if you look at Steamer's projections, his ERA is 207 on their projections. And I think number two is Scherzer at like 273. And then, you know, above that is like Fernandez at 275. And then someone else is 290. He's at 207 on Steamer, on the conservative Steamer projections. Like the gap between him and everybody else is just so wide. And then there's the reliability gap. I mean, Scherzer's pretty reliable too. But in terms of pitchers, you'll never get someone as reliable as Kershaw, knock on wood. So I just feel like that's the real outlier value. That's the guy you really want to take it, one overall. I think he'll get run support. He's throwing to the best trio of pitch framing catchers in the league, um, good park, um, decent bullpen, too. So, I mean, I think it's all set up for him to, to continue dominating. But, I mean, I've been treating him as a top three pick for the last three years. So it's, this is nothing new to me. I pick fourth in a – league tonight, and I'm just praying that he falls to me there, but I'm not expecting it. Yeah, the 12-teamers, it's less likely because you can build a team more easily. But the 15-teamers, actually, he almost always, he's always fallen to fourth. I don't think he's ever gone in the top three. Certainly never gone number one overall in any of their 15-teamers yet. Uh, and the reason is that nobody likes the hitters at the 30-31 turn, and right. everybody likes the pitchers there, right? I mean, the pitchers are all – basically, the only guys that are definitely off the board are Kershaw, Scherzer, and Sale – and then sometimes Arietta or Strasburg's off the board. Once in a while, Harvey's off the board. But pretty much, you're going to get two really good aces there. So it's so easy to just take Harper or Trout, two aces. Now you're three rounds in, and your team's set up ideally in the NFBC format because you want two aces. You've got them, and you got your hitter, and now you can just kind of fill in your categories. So everyone's saying, come on, dude, don't be ridiculous. Just take the hitter and then go with the pitchers. 
but I really want to get Kershaw. I think he's much more valuable than Trader Harper. And then what do I do? You know, I think I'm going to try to take one pitcher and one hitter, but the hitting options are sketched. So I want, I want you to help me navigate this. Yeah, I get what you're saying because pitchers on, on starting pitchers probably four through, I'd say, 14 on my list. I just value pretty similarly, and I'd love to come away with two of them, and it seems perfect at, at the wheel there. Right, and the hitters are sketchy then, so why not just get two pitchers, and then you won't need a hitter because you got Trout or Harper, right? Yeah, I know. I mean, that's a compelling argument, sure. But you take Kershaw, and now you really, you know, in a 15-teamer, I, I mocked out a little bit what, what happens when you take three pitchers, and my conclusion was you can get your hitting – but then you're screwed in saves. You can't mm-hmm. get your saves and your hitting if you get the three pitchers. Or maybe you can, but it's a real tightrope to walk as you're drafting. Yeah, and no, obviously it's going to be much tougher to fill out that lineup in a 15-team league. I, I will say one of your things that you, I heard you mention a couple weeks ago, and I found it to be totally true, is just how easy it is to fill your middle infield later on. I mean, I've actually drafted D. Gordon in a couple of leagues. I just like taking care of the steals and the batting average uh, in the middle of the second round. But if you don't get Altuve or Gordon or, you know, one of the, what, I guess Correa could be a monster, obviously. Those are the stop. three. That's it. Nope, a- that's after it. that, forget it. Yeah, Machado is available in Yahoo leagues at shortstop. But okay. after that, then absolutely. I mean, what is the difference between, I mean, who's drafting Brian Dozier when you can get Daniel Murphy 10 rounds later or something. I mean, it's, it is seriously my rankings at second base. I'm looking 11 through 28. I, I, I value almost the same tier. Right. And then, but then also like three through 10 is the same tier. Right. And three through 10 is not that different from 11 through 28. I mean, you, you look at Marcus Semi and Jeff got him in the 16th round of the 15 team main event. People are drafting Ian Desmond in the seventh round. Why is Ian Desmond better than Marcus Semyon? I don't yeah, see. Well, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, Starling Castro, Segura—they're all probably going higher. I mean, there's just so so many options. Kettle Marte late. Um, Zach Cozart was awesome last year in April before getting hurt, and now he might hit leadoff for the yeah, Reds. He's going to hit leadoff, but I, I don't. Cheap. I don't know why you like him so much, but I don't trust him. I don't like him so much. My point is, he's my 29th, 29th ranked shortstop, and I don't right. think there's a big difference between him and guys going much. Much earlier. What about Trevor's story? I saw you getting a little bit of a back and forth on Twitter, and I kind of like him just because uh, maybe I'm falling for the unknown. But Coors Field, and you know, I, I just think that he could he could go off. But now with Reyes not getting you know charged, who knows? Yeah, we wanted uh, Reyes to get you know death row electric chair. You know, we wanted it to be like he's just out of the picture, uh, and unfortunately, he's not even being charged. I picked him up in friends and family just because I have story, and who knows. Maybe they'll both have some value. Um, at some point, maybe, you know, they'll trade Reyes. I don't know how much value Reyes would have at sea level at this point in his career. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the suspension will be, but he, his wife is – the reason he's not being prosecuted is his wife's not cooperating. And so then MLB is going to have – they'll have the 911 call. They'll have the police report that says she had some bruises. But it's not like, you know, if she's saying, hey, I reacted, even if she's lying – and it was a legitimate thing. I, baseball, I mean, they don't have to follow like legal due process, but there is a, a process that's bargained for. And I don't think they can just arbitrarily suspend somebody. They can't just say, you know, we think you did something wrong, so we're going to suspend you. I think they need a, a basis of some sort. So, I think they can now. That just recently changed. Oh, that they can just suspend you for just, you know, we don't like the PR that this got for the game, regardless of whether you did it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The so basically, league. like, let's say somebody's wife were crazy and he didn't do anything. 
she could call the police and then he could suspend it because his wife called the police and suspended without pay, even though he didn't do anything. And MLB knows that he probably did anything or doesn't know, but just doesn't have proof one way or the other. Well, I'm sure they probably would look into it, but theoretically, I believe that is the case. Very recently, I think that changed in like last August. Well, if that's the case, he'll get the month that Chapman got. I heard that Chapman, they couldn't give him more than the month because then it would get, it would trigger some grievance by the Players Association. So I think maybe he'll get a month then. You know. And then what, though? Why would the Rockies – I mean, I guess he has a, some team owes him a bunch of money, but, I mean, the, he's 33-year-old injury-prone guy who had a 292 on base in Coors Field last year. I mean, if Story gets off to a good start, they could just release him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're going to derail a top prospect for a 33-year-old uh, injury-prone guy, as you said, who's coming off a domestic abuse charge that was dropped. I mean, I, I just think that's – why would they do that, right? They're rebuilding. They want to see what Story can do. Uh, I, I, if story hits in the first month, they're not going to say, oh, well, we're going to bench you so we can see if we can trade Reyes. I think Reyes has a little bit of value. If they ate most of the contract, uh, maybe they could trade him somewhere. I, I think he does. I mean, I think somebody would take a chance on him if the PR hit isn't that bad, right? Right, right. Anyway. Yeah, I don't I just think that story would get derailed a little, but I just think that just, just Coors Field has turned worse hitters into very valuable fantasy-wise, and all those shortstops – around him to me I, I would just take the unknown and see what happens as opposed to some proven commodity like elvis andrews or something well, elvis andrews i mean I, I don't i just don't see it i mean what he's just steal 25 bases and hit 270 is that what you want out of your ninth round pick that's terrible that's your up there's no ceiling there why would you draft him there's no point um story i mean i don't even know why this is even contentious i said look there's like four or five shortstops that would go ahead of him for sure and those guys would be Maybe Tulo, I'd hold my nose and take ahead of him, but I don't like him, and I don't see who he, I don't know who he is outside of Coors Field. Um, Lindor, Seager, Bogarts, and obviously Correa; those are the guys that are just unquestionably ahead. But then right. I said, when you get to the Ian Desmond tier, you know, I might take Story ahead of him, and that's what's triggered the whole thing. But what people don't understand is people are taking Desmond in the seventh round, and I'm not saying you should take Story in the seventh round. I think you should take Story in a 15-team mix in the 12th or 13th round. But that's where I think you should take Desmond too. And I wouldn't even take Andrews in the 13th round. I'd take him in the 16th. So, you know, I, basically I, I think Story is ahead of those guys, but they're, none of them should be pushed up very far. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. So bringing it back, the bottom line is you're not going to address the middle infield position, especially if you pick first overall for quite some time. Uh, and, let, you know, Story in the 12th, 13th round, I mean, I might consider him. And right. Seager, it, 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 you know, on, on the 4-5 turn, if Seager's there, I might consider him. Certainly in the 6-7 turn of Seager, he won't make it there. But if he did, I would take him in a heartbeat. I'm not going like, to ne- say never to anything. But based on where these guys are going, yes, I will take middle infielders in the mid to late teens at the earliest. Yeah, that seems to make the most sense from drafts I've been in so far. Yeah, it's, it's just that there's just such high replacement value. And there's, you know, everybody has a little of something. Even Didi Gregorius had like nine homers and five steals last year. And he's a lefty in Yankee Stadium, and he's 26 years old, and he's hitting well in spring training. And that's just – I'm fine with that. In a 15-team mix, if Didi Gregorius is my starting shortstop, that's fine. Yeah, Lexi Ramirez, I know he's dealing with Petco now, but he had 10 homers and 17 steals last year, and his ADP was like 150 picks higher, and no one wants him. I mean, there, there are so many guys like that. Right. There's, there's not even a it's – not, it's not a concern. And so – you know, I love it when I'm drafting and someone's taking Rugnet Odor and they're taking, and he could be better. He's 21. He has, you know, upside. And, and people are taking Ian Kinsler and Brian Dozier and Jason Kipnis 
and Kiptis and Dozier barely ran last year. It's just, please take those guys off the board. I, I wasn't even considering those guys for five more rounds. Take. Uh, it's just, it's such a good feeling when, when those are the guys getting drafted. And Rendon, too. Yeah, Rendon't. Yeah. <laughs> Rendon't. Like just don't do it. Um, I, you know, his ceiling, his absolute ceiling was that breakout, but it's a ceiling in every category for him, it seems like. Yeah, he didn't run when he returned last year, and his injury history dates back, you know, throughout the minors and into college, I think. And he didn't run at all in college or the minors. There's no basis for the 17 steals. Now, they may run more because, um, who is it, Dusty Baker's out there now? And, yeah, uh, Davey Lopes is the. Is and Davey the, Lopes. He always does it really, you know, always his teams always run, run more. But. You can't make everybody run. I, I think Harper may actually be the guy that benefits and gets 15 to 20 steals. Yeah, no, definitely. I, could, I, I give him a 50-50 chance being more valuable than Trout. I don't think it's a crazy statement, but I give him no, a 50-50. I, I actually I like Harper a little bit better in terms of just raw production. I like Trout a little bit better in terms of just staying healthy. Not yeah. that Harper's a big risk, but just Trout is so – he just seems like a rock. So I trust him ever so slightly more in terms of just – you know, being solid, I trust, and I think Harper is ever so slightly more upside, especially because Trout's park sucks for home runs, especially, and Trout's lineup sucks too. And he's kind of really curtailed the running, whereas Harper, who knows with this new setup. Yeah. I mean, Steamer has Trout for 13 steals and Harper for like seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd actually bet the over on both of those, but, you know, Goldschmidt's like 12 or 13 also, and I might not bet the over on him. That's why I don't like Goldschmidt that much. Take take Miguel Cabrera. Be a man this year. In my fourth pick, yeah. If Kershaw's gone, if, if those three are gone, I, I'm really leaning toward it. I, I just have a, I don't know. I Maybe I'm crazy, but I I, I could easily see Cabrera out, out producing Goldschmidt. Yeah, well, here, well, okay, so Steamer likes them, likes Cabrera probably a little more. Everything, home runs, runs, and ribbies are about the same, and then Cabrera gets more, um, so much more batting average. And, and you know, they have Goldschmidt like 291 and Cabrera like 315-ish. Uh, and then obviously uh, Goldschmidt gets his 13 or 12 steals. So it's close. But Cabrera, I think, outproduces him by those metrics. Um, Cabrera, there's some concern about injuries, but he's healthy now, and I'm, I'm not going to worry about it that much. But I'll say something. When you draft Cabrera with the first pick, it's just such a good feeling knowing that batting average is in such good hands. Like, that is just such an advantage when you're going through your draft, that to know that your batting average is off to that good leg. Whereas getting the steals is nice, but I don't find it as important. And I, I was debating this with uh, some guys also is that, and maybe we talked about this last week, but the fewer steals you in the league, which it seems like there are now, mm-hmm. the less you need to worry about steals. It's just, it's just a lower bar to clear. Don't get panicky about steals. You need to get your steals. But if you get a few Michael Brantley's and, you know, Puig steals 15 or 12 this year with Dave Roberts as the manager. And, you know, a couple Gerardo Parr steals 15 for you and Hosmer steals, you know, eight and JT real Muto steals 10 you can cobble that together, no problem, and then maybe you're 25 short, but you find that on the waiver wire or somebody emerges. It's not. It's just. It, it's not like a thing like power where you need to get like at least a couple 30 plus homer guys. You have to have that on your roster. Yeah, no, I'm with you in batting average. It continues to be overlooked. I mean, 315. That projection is is actually conservative. I mean, he hit 338. Cabrera did last season on one leg. A couple years before that, he hit 348, and then 344 a couple before that. So, I mean, that's just monstrous in that category that's, that's just continues to be underrated. Yeah, and I love Brantley and where he's falling with his injuries. So, like, if you get Cabrera and Brantley, like I did in Friends and Family, 
It's just such a batting average. It's just the batting average in Puig, guys like that. Puig's a 290 hitter. You know, he's, he's a solid 290. It just helps, and it, I think it is underrated. The other one that's underrated that I've been a little uh, low in places is, is run scored. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've ended up with Granderson on almost all my teams so far, and that's certainly not a target of mine, but his on-base percentage is pretty good, and he hits atop that lineup that's scored either the first or second most runs on the road in the National League the last two years, and it should be better now with Conforto and a full season of Cespedes. Um, and he's just one of those boring veterans that's already peaked and no one really wants. So I've just I've found him on a lot of my teams. Yeah, I think where he's going, he's a good value too. I, it's just, he's a batting average liability. He can be. You know, he could be yeah. a serious liability there. Scored 98 runs last year, though. I mean, that's that's just that's helpful. Yes, no, it's very helpful. Um, all right, I want to talk about the NFBC uh, main event because I was going through this, and so my plan is to pick Kershaw on the way back. It was I'm going to take a pitcher, and it's going to be Keuchel, um, and then I'm going to take a hitter. And the question is, which hitter? And there are a few drafts that people have shown me that Encarnacion falls. That'd be great. Some other ones where Charlie Blackman falls. I'm a little less inclined to go steals over power, but overall value, he's pretty good. And there's J.D. Martinez. Um, and then sometimes there's you know you can always get Carlos Gomez or Justin Upton if you want to reach a round and a half. They're never there at the four five turn, but they're obviously always there at the two three. What hitter do you take if you're me? If you take Kershaw, you're committed to getting a second pitcher. Almost certainly Keiko will be there. And then you're looking at a hitter to, to pair with him at the 2-3 uh, turn. Yeah, it's tough because it's, what, 30 picks before you pick next. So it's like, yeah, this may be a reach, but I can't get him when he comes back. Yeah. So um, Right. I mean, that's why, yeah, Gomez, that's why Gomez and Upton are in play because they're not, they're not going to be there uh, in round four or five. Well, I absolutely love Kershaw, but that's why this becomes appealing to go Harper or Trout right. and then two starters here because that that's where I personally would love a Strasburg, Harvey, Syndergaard, Fernandez, Arietta, Bumgarner, even DeGrom or Kluber or you know Keuchel. I'd like two of those guys than, say, the Carlos Gomez's of the world. That's right. There's so, so the point is, so I'm getting some value in round one. I, I think Kershaw's worth like four or five bucks more, say, for a mixed auction than Trout Harper, but I'm giving back some of that money by passing on one of the pitchers in 2-3. But that's why I'm almost certainly not going to go two hitters. I mean, I could go Kershaw on two hitters, which I did last year. One of them was Harper. It worked out. Um, but I could go uh, two hitters. But, A, the hitters aren't high quality. And, B, I think that I'm giving up three bucks each, say, from the pitcher to the hitter. And then I've given up six combined versus saving the five in round one. And now I'm, I'm down a buck, right? Whereas if I go another pitcher and a hitter, now I'm up two bucks um, over, you know, the, the trout pitcher-pitcher uh, scenario. And I'm also – and I'm making up these numbers, but it's sort of in my mind. That's how they shake out. And I've at least got one hitter so that I'm not totally pitching heavy and my balance is screwed up. I think you definitely got to go one minimum. And I, I, like I said, I'm leaning toward two there because it's not just that I think that number 14 is close to number four. It's also after that. I mean, I, I can be talked into David Price and Archer – but there's a big drop-off coming all the way back. I mean, oh, oh, yeah, Price and Archer, 0% chance they're there in, in round four. Right. In round I mean, four, it, in round it, four the, the options will be maybe, and, and probably not even Felix. He'll be probably be gone. I don't like him anyway. But maybe Lester, maybe not, okay? It'll be Lester, maybe, Cueto, Sonny, almost certainly, Sonny and Gray, Wainwright. Cueto. Yeah, you're right. Sonny Gray, Wainwright, Cueto. I mean, I just think that there's such a difference between that – the tier above and starters. The, the only thing is I think Cueto is actually legit and b- belongs in that other tier. 
and if I take a second pitcher and I take Cueto, it's just like, you know, and I need closers. I, I can't do it. No. So if like two really good hitters fell, like surprisingly, let's say if Encarnacion and Blackman were there, you know, two of them like could be Blackman and J.D. Martinez. But if we're like Encarnacion and Blackman, I could go those two and then take Cueto and Puig in the next round and then take a high strike. Well, I wouldn't get a high strikeout closer in 6-7. It's already gone. I could take like Carlos Martinez at that turn or something and just get the pitching that way. But I'm more inclined to get Keuchel. I just think Keuchel is – as I've said it before, I think he's Roy Halladay. He's he's that you know he's the left-handed version. Someone suggested Cliff Lee, which is also a good comp. Uh, so I'm trying to go in that direction, and and then just that means I'm not. I really cannot draft Cueto in round four or five, even though I think he's he's an ace and belongs on that tier. Right. So if you think he stands out, then by the way, I hope you're right as a Giants fan. Then then I could see that strategy but the problem is what if Cueto specifically goes you know when you don't think that, that well Lester... he won't go before four or five like okay so he's every time pretty confident adp he's there every time okay gotcha yeah, four yeah five, well he'll be there six seven he he you know there's a tiny chance he makes it back but almost certainly not he usually goes in the somewhere in the fifth or sixth round yeah so these are compelling arguments uh each way what, what are you leaning toward yeah i'm leaning to taking kershaw I, I i've been talking him up all year i wanted him um i do think he's by far the most valuable player and I, I'm willing to take a second pitcher at the turn, too, because of the value. And I just need to get one bat just to, like, make the team possible. Now, the question is, if for whatever reason, none of the bats I liked were there. In other words, the best bat was Carlos Gomez or Justin Upton, who's really a, a round to a round and a half later. Not that ADP matters. I mean, they're not coming back. So if I like them, I like them. I would consider going, say, Kershaw, Keuchel, Strasburg. Well, here, here's the thing why I kind of like that in this format. Um, on one hand, you can't trade, so it's like crap. I don't want a surplus that I can't trade. But on right. the other, on the other, it does you no good in a normal 15-team home league to win strikeouts by 200. But you're facing a, playing for a grand prize, so why not? You could finish first among whatever how many entrants there are. 250 in ERA whip and strikeouts. 450 wins. Yeah, 450. 450. Okay, you could finish first in ERA whip strikeouts and wins. You're the favorite too if you right. do that. I mean, but, you cannot say that by someone drafting three straight hitters because everyone drafts three straight hitters. You know what I'm saying? Right. You are standing out big time. Oh, and also three pitchers is three is one half of the starters I'll be employing on a regular exactly. basis if I have three relievers or maybe, you know, three-sevenths of the starters. Whereas if you draft three hitters, I mean, that's three out of 14 slots. It's no big deal, right? I mean, it's, it's good. It's a good start, but you need so many other parts to, to make it work. Um, the uh, so that's good. The problem with the the argument I used to make that argument that yeah I mean so there's no surplus never goes to waste. You never beat the whole field by 200 strikeouts. I mean there's always going to be somebody who gets the perfect combo of late pitchers who's up there. So you're getting points for every single strikeout and, and and lower whip that you're getting. But the problem is it is like a bell curve, right? When you when you gain points in the middle, you gain a lot more points than at the top. So going from like say the 60th percentile to the 80th percentile has you pass, you know, 100 teams or 120 teams or something. But going from the, you know, 90th percentile to the 100th, you may pass, you know, five teams, right? 12 yeah, teams. I mean, because I know, cause I it's so it, – it's like a bell curve. Everybody's clustered in the middle of all those categories. So every gain you make from the middle up is gets smaller and smaller as you get to sort of the outlier best guys at strikeouts and, and whip and ERA. I hear you, but at the same time, everyone's like, oh, I can just find a pitcher to hit in the 18th round. 
um, hit, hit is in, you know, as you said, cobble together the, you know, the, the stats there. Why can't you do the same as with a hitter though? Like there are breakout hitters all the time too, that go that outperform their ADP just as much as starters. And I look at it this way. If you're in the middle of, if, if you are in a trade league, just think about it in the middle of a year, if you can do a trade, I, I'm telling you more times than not, if you have an ACE like Harvey, Strasburg, Syndergaard, Jose Fernandez, you're going to be asking for more than say a Justin Upton, whom, whom you are, you know, considering at that same draft spot. Yeah, I, I think usually once the ace is established in season, you trade one of those guys for a first round pick. You end up trading exactly. him for Anthony Rizzo or something. Exactly. You'd be like, I'll give you Harvey for Rizzo. Okay, done. I need pitching, you need hitting, done. You don't trade him for Upton usually, right? I agree. So then why shouldn't they be valued that way entering the draft? Yeah, I I agree because in the end, okay, and here and here's why that happens. Is pl- pitchers are priced the way they are simply because um, there's a 30-70 split in the dollar values. And there's a lot of reasons for that, which we've gone into maybe before. I've, now I've gone into on the XM show. Um, and so when you give like a 70-30 split toward hitting, 30% toward pitching, you know, Trout 44 and Kershaw's like 42 and so on down the road where, you know, Harvey's 28 and Syndergaard's 27 or 25 or whatever it is. But if you were to price them at 50-50, Kershaw would be like 70 Syndergaard would be like 40, you know, it would be right. like that. And the hitters would be super cheap. And there's reasons why they have the 70-30 split. We can go into those if we want. But at the end of the year, when you calculate dollars earned, it's always a 50-50 split because there's 10 categories. The dollars earned really have to go half to pitching and half to hitting because they each make up half of your total score. So it's a weird thing where in season, you're sort of in between preseason and postseason. You're in between sort of the end of the year 50-50 and the beginning of the year 70-30. So let's call it 60-40. Well, if you price Harvey at 60-40, he's going to be a first-round pick. And it almost seems like that's what happens on the trade market in season. Yeah, exactly. And as you mentioned before in this podcast, that um, that they, they contribute more to that to the five categories because right. you're, you can only start nine of them. And really, you're only starting six or seven because of the closers. And they obviously, that's more than one-fourteenth of your offense. Right. I mean, this is why I'm really testing in the Yahoo friends and family. We'll see who wins this bet that we have. But I have ridiculous depth at starter. I mean, I've got four. Uh, you know, Lester's my number four. Archer's my number three in a K in an innings per nine, a K per nine league. And I've got Sale and, and Bumgarner. And I'm really just pushing that to the limit in an innings cap league where literally not just forget about closers and forget about the slots. With 1,400 innings, a 250-inning guy is literally one-sixth you know, more than one-sixth of your entire output. So if you have three of those guys, you've got more than half your stats are just pure aces, not even including closers and relief pitchers and extra innings you pick up and streaming. You're just locking in such a huge portion of those five categories, or at least four categories because saves are its own thing, but a huge portion of those four categories in three picks, something you can just not do in hitting. And tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but it just seems maybe this is anecdotal and just trying to to, to support my my point that's that's off base. But um, it seems to me that a later pitcher can hurt your your ratios more than a than a later hitter. I mean, maybe batting average, obviously, but man, you get a pitcher who who could destroy your ERA and WHIP, but not only that, if they're on like a bad team and low K rate, they're literally like hurting. They're actively hurting your categories. Right. I, I will not draft Tyson Ross. Bad whip, bad wins. There's just two categories. He's not going to get saves. Not going to get saves, exactly. Right. So he's strikeouts and ERA. 
He's a two-category guy, and the people are drafting that guy in the seventh, eighth round in mixed league. I don't understand it. Julio Tehran, not going to get run support. Didn't isn't a huge strikeout guy. We actually had a bad ERA and WHIP last year. What's he good at? Why would you draft him? Maybe he gets to where he was a couple years ago, but on a terrible team with with no no Andrelton Simmons, no Jason Hayward playing defense, and they don't score runs anymore. No, well, the Braves might lose, yeah, the Braves might lose ninety five games. Here's the other thing: is that when a when a hitter who's kind of fringy is going zero for four a couple games, you might be like, all right, that guy's out. He's out of my lineup. No big deal. But you, you try a fringy pitcher a couple times, they can give up eight or nine runs in one outing. And think yep. about how many outings it takes to undo an eight-run and two-inning disaster. It takes like four really good outings just to get back to par after that. Yeah, a little bit more than an 0-14 for 14 slump for your hitter. Right. It's worse. So <laughs> it is true. Now, the theory and the reason why it's 70-30 in favor of hitting is that pitching is volatile to both in both directions. So a lot of starters that you think are going to be good aren't good, and there's two categories from the fail-in, and they're highly correlated. And the reverse is also true. There are a lot of pitchers that no one knows is going to be really good that take a leap, and the categories, you know, ERA and WHIP are really correlated. And so, you know, there's just a lot of profit to be made in pitching. And so given the volatility, it's kind of like this. If, if something had 100% volatility, like we would draft a player and we had no idea what he would do, then you would obviously want to spend a dollar on every pitch, nine $1 pitchers, because there's no, it wouldn't matter who you drafted. It wouldn't matter what he did last year. There'd be no rhyme or reason to how he performed. And if we knew that the opposite, that a performance was certain, like they were projected stats or his actual stats, they would probably even go more than what they earned because you'd be so certain of those guys achieving it. It wouldn't, there'd be no, there'd be no doubt about it. And so if you say that pitching is more toward that direction and hitting is more toward the certain direction, then you see why, the money is skewed 70-30. I mean, that's sort of the, that's one of the arguments. Right. Is that kind of like saying if you told me a specific running back, doesn't matter whom, in the in the league would get 325 carries, he'd probably be the number one overall pick, right? Uh, I mean, it's different, but yeah, that's true. If you just knew that any running back would get, yeah, the certainty, right. You're saying that the certainty is worth a lot, right. In that respect, it's similar. And, and the uncertainty just means like there's going to be a lot of pitchers that come into the league that aren't drafted or guys who were dropped after a couple of weeks that end up being very good. Uh, and so people say, okay, you can make your, you can get your pitching numbers elsewhere. But I think what's happened in recent years uh, is that strikeouts are up, walks are down and run scoring have been down. Although the home runs kind of brought it back last year, although that might even be more reason that pitchers, you know, good pitchers are more valuable because they don't give up as many home runs. So it's like those top pitchers have been super reliable and given the volatility at the bottom of the pitching pool, so what I'm going to do is get two aces, three aces, as many aces as I can fit on my roster because not only are those guys so valuable because they only are one of nine slots and really one of six and occupy a huge portion of those four categories, but they've actually proven to be more reliable than the hitters the last few years. And then while everyone else is trying to get lucky on these volatile commodities, I'll stay away from all the mid-price guys who are both volatile and not as reliable, and then I'll gamble on some low guys too. And so maybe I not only have three aces, I get two more aces from – the game that everybody else is playing. It's not like you're not allowed to play that game just because you got three aces. Exactly. Just be, Yes, exactly. It doesn't preclude you from also taking those flyers at starting pitchers as well later on. Exactly. I'm, I'm on board with the, the heavy starting pitching. The only problem with the no-trade NFBC 15-teamer is if I go three starters, which I think would give me the most bang for my buck category-wise, you know, then I've got to balance my team. You can't win the overall with weak hitting. You, know, you have to have at least good hitting. And I think from rounds four, you can't punt saves. 
Right, and you can't punt saves. So the problem is rounds four through ten, I'd want to do hitting. You could easily get enough hitting at four through ten, but I got to use like seven and eight on closers or even six and seven when you're on the turn and the runs come and they're all gone. Okay, now I've got to get catch up to hitting in four, five, eight, nine, ten. That's going to be tough when I don't have any hitters in the first three rounds. Yeah, that's why as much as I love Kershaw, it kind of makes sense to go Harper, Trout, and then, and then two aces. I, I really think that makes sense. So would you rather – so here's the question. Would you rather have Kershaw, Keuchel, and J.D. Martinez, let's say, or right. would you rather have Trout, Keuchel, and Strasburg? That's exactly what I'm saying. I'd, I'd rather the latter. Really? So you, you think there's a bigger difference between Trout and J.D. Martinez than there is between Kershaw and Strasburg? Yes, and I love Kershaw. I, I just no, no, I, but I, I mean, it's interesting to me because I think it's the opposite. I think the bigger difference is between Kershaw and Strasburg. If Strasburg does what he's supposed to, it might not be. But who the hell knows? The reliability thing is huge there. Yeah, uh, no, I hear you. I mean, Strasburg's a, a real volatile guy because he actually. I mean, uh, he let's can... forget about Strasburg. Let's just say you know Degrom or somebody. So right. Kershaw versus right. Degrom, whatever he'll do this year. Right. No, 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 that's what I'm saying. And, and just I'm, I'm saying the theory, so I, I'm sta- standing by it. You, you think that the bigger difference is in the hitter? Two guys from that tier with Trout is the side I would prefer. And by saying that, you're saying there's a bigger difference between Kershaw and a pitcher of that tier. I mean, there's a smaller difference between Kershaw yeah. and a pitcher of that tier than Trout and J.D. Martinez, for instance. I can see really both sides, and I don't feel too strongly about this. But, yes, that's what I'm saying. Because that's what you're saying. But I, let's say, I, I have a feeling that you don't really believe that, that you actually just like the way it looks on paper. That you just love, obviously you love Trout or Harper, who doesn't, and that you love those two starters and it just looks really good, like good, good, good. Whereas if you get Kershaw, one of those starters, and then like a J.D. Martinez, it doesn't look as good because it's, you know, some guy like, who wants that as your first hitter? Right. Nobody minds getting Trout and those two guys as your first two pitchers, but it's like an on-paper thing versus a real-life stat value thing. You, you might be right about that, but what if I throw this at you? How about, can you get Puig in the fourth and fifth? Yes. That term? Yes. Usually. We'll see. People listen to my show, maybe not. But, but yeah, almost certainly. I mean, he almost always goes in the fifth. Well, maybe I'm crazy, but I have Puig like a spot ahead of J.D. Martinez. So that, that's the route I would go. Right. But, I mean, you need two of them. I don't care about J.D. Martinez per se, but it's just you need, you need Puig and that guy is what I'm saying to right. compete in hitting. That's, that's the only reason I'm getting – and forget about J.D. Martinez. It could be Charlie Blackman. It could be yeah. – you know, it could be Encarnacion. It's just I need two hitters to start my, you. you know, in the first four rounds or five. You know, I need two hitters in the first four rounds. Well, it sounds like you've answered your, your question. I mean, it sounds to me like you know what route you're going. I mean, I, you know, I, there's part of me that wants to do the easy thing and just take Trout and the two pitchers. It's so easy. It's so clear that that's what you do. But I, but I just think that Kershaw's probably worth a good deal more than Trout. And if Trout were to find some new level, he'd steal 35 more bases again and still hit the 40 homers, then okay, I would change my tune. But there's no real reason to think he's going to get better. You know, this is who he is. He's been the same guy for four years, and that's a great player, but I don't think there's a reason for growth. And I think given what Trout is and given what Kershaw is, I think Kershaw is more valuable by like a, a decent margin. So if you had the fourth pick and Kershaw fell, I guess it'd make it easier, right? So you yes. just obviously am picking Kershaw. And then in the second, you get another, what, ace, and then you, then you turn to no, one of those hitters. No, I would, I would take the hitter in the second. In okay, the that's exactly the, what I would get, I would like, do. Chris okay, Davis. Gotcha. Yes, because there's so many of those pitchers between 4 and 14 
Keiko's falling to you still, probably. Yeah, exactly. Keiko's probably still there, and if somebody likes him more, then I'll get someone else and be fine. Jose Fernandez, whatever. Um, so that would be ideal if you got the fourth pick and Kershaw yes. fell. Okay. And it's funny because I screwed up. I, I took the lower pick in the 12 teams thinking I'd get Kershaw and get the earlier second-round pick. didn't happen, and then I took the higher pick in the overall. And yeah. then I'm realizing, oh, now the hitters aren't falling to me. But it is what it is. I'm not going to bitch about the number one overall pick. It's fine. Yeah, because who knows? Maybe it'll end up helping. You know what I mean? Like, you never know. It, you know, it, and, and it's just you play the hand you're dealt. Jeff had the 12th pick. He did it last week, and I thought did a good job of realizing, okay, either I have to reach up or serves are at 12 uh, or sale in you know, the, the early second or just get a pitcher in the third and, and get a pitcher in the fifth and just play it that way. And he did. He just was like, I'm not going to force myself to pay more than the going rate for these guys. Um, just because of my draft slot, I'm just get more hitting. And he, and he got J.D. Martinez in the fourth, which is ridiculous, uh, and put together a good team, although I didn't like some of his picks. But I thought that overall he, he had a good strategy. And I think, so. okay, fine, I'm one. What do I do? And am I reaching too much for that hitter in the second, third round? Maybe. But I, it's the only, but I have to in order to draft Kershaw, which who I think is by far the most valuable player. And there's nothing you can do about it otherwise. This isn't an auction, and you can't trade down draft pick or something. So, I mean, yes, you got to take one of those guys that's, who's not going to be back there 30 picks later. So it's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I feel pretty good. I mean, the only other thing, if I don't go the easy way, and I'm still not saying 100% that I won't at the last minute change my mind, but the only thing I can do is take three pitchers, and then I mocked it out a little bit. I would get Puig in round four, and the other guy – uh, it would be like I was hoping for Miguel Sano, but lately he's been going uh, higher than that. I might get like a Prince Fielder or someone like that with Puig. And then six, seven, you usually get Brantley, and I would get another hitter. Um, and then eight, nine, I would get my closers who would be so, so. That's how I had to mock it out. And it, it actually is doable. I'm kind of fine with that. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. It's just the eight, nine closers aren't, it's not what you like. There's no, you can't even get K Rod in the eight, nine turn. I'd probably get like Jake McGee and. Sean Tolleson is my closers. Yeah, and the you problem still, with them. You still is fine with it? I mean, I get what you're saying. Uh, it's it's just tough just because if they lose the role, then you're literally just wasting but, any I mean, pick. They're not necessarily that much more likely to lose the role than anyone else. But And then I'd probably have to get like a Santiago Casilla again in like round 11. Back you'd have to get three because, yeah, instead of two elite closers, you'd want three middle ones. Yeah, and I'm still okay with that. More- I, I think. I think it's interesting to load up on three starters right away. I really do. But I'd be giving up more hitting, you know, with that third closer too. I mean, you really need right. like Randall Gritchuk and Gerardo Parra, and you want to just keep pounding it. I want to get Byung-Ho Park for big-time power upside because I wouldn't have enough of it. You know, you, you really just – you have to pound that hitting. Yeah, but, but you get Puig in the fourth round. It's like getting a top-five hitter. <laughs> right. I, I do think he's like a second-round hitter, though. I, I do think that. So well, I have them graded. I have them graded almost as such, and I just keep snapping them up in the fifth and sixth rounds. That's what I. You know, it's funny. Uh, Steamer has him as like the twelfth. I want to say like the twelfth best woba projected yeah. this year of all hitters. The, the the only issue for me with him whatsoever, he's got that little hamstring tweak he had last week. He played in a minor league game a couple days later, so it certainly wasn't serious, but. You know, just with this history before. Yeah, exactly. So I'm a little bit scared entering this year because um, I I love Kershaw like you. My our biggest guy who in the middle rounds is Puig. I have a weird feeling of, and I want to avoid Goldschmidt. So there's far too much. And, and I was with you on Trevor Story. Your debate, even if I didn't chime in personally, because you're such uh, a coward. That's why I'm a little. 
I'm a little concerned of, of how much I agree with you. That that I don't know. That's probably the wrong wrong side. Why well, I won like every league last year. <laughs> All you right, should, well. should, you should have been on board the train last year. You might have won something. Well, I came up with these thoughts independently is my point, so it's a little scary. But um, when I, I think start you thinking, think I that think... you came up with them independently, but I like Jeff always picks all my players by the end of the baseball season, and he thinks, well, like, Jeff, you just copied all my players. And he'll be like, no, I didn't. I was on him before you were. But it's not yeah. true. He's just yeah, copies all my players. I will say I wasn't as in love with Keichel as you were, and maybe you talked me a little bit into Puig, but certainly Kershaw. I'm, I'm not no, going Kershaw, out. you're on. I know that. I know that. I'm not going on any stretch saying, saying him, by the, by the way. It doesn't take a genius to say that Kershaw's good. good. But, um, but uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of overlap this year, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, Jeff either copies all my picks or just makes bad picks. Those are the only two options for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> he makes picks that are bad or just picks my picks and they're good. One last thing I wanted to cover, and then we'll, we'll talk a little politics. You know, I was talking to Pienau about this, and I've heard this a lot, and Pienau is more nuanced than most. I mean, Pienau is a, a very good player. But uh, people are always like, he hasn't proven it. You know, like, I, I can't – I don't want to pay for that. He hasn't proven that level yet. I'm not going to draft him in an ADP uh, that he's never earned before. And I always think it's just physically impossible to prove 2016 in the past. Like, you cannot prove anything about 2016 in 2015. You can do really well in 2015 – but 2016 is always going to be you and your skill set in the context that you play, the park, the lineup, the, the slot you have, the teammates you have, going against the pitchers that year. That's always going to be how you get your numbers in fantasy baseball. It's never going to be that some of the numbers in 2015 actually give you a 20 stolen base start in 2016, right? It just you, The ball doesn't carry 20 feet further because – you hit a 450-foot homer in 2015. There's nothing you can do in 2015 to prove anything in 2016. I, I think – I know it sounds like ridiculous and rhetorical, but I'm actually making a literal, very serious point here. Well, unfortunately, I agree with you once again. I've, I've heard people say that about uh, Miguel Sano's going in the fifth round. Uh, that You're paying for the expectant price. You know, right. like there's no there, – you can't make any value with that. Well, what if he's a second-round player? <laughs> that is a three-round value right there. Yeah, right. The, Wait, is it possible that, that he's going to be a second-round pick next year? No, it's actually quite likely. That he's I mean, I, I'm picking just a very obvious one here, yeah. but I, this, re, 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 I, I'm reminded of last year's Yahoo Friends and Family Q&A when the, by far the reach of the draft and people in, on Twitter and the Q&A said that me taking Chris Bryant, it was like round 18, was right. a stretch because he wasn't going to be up for six weeks, which he wasn't. It was small benches. I get that. Well, what is he, a universal top 20 pick one year later? You know, I mean, it's just like, I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm fine with, with both, uh, you know, betting on upside. Yeah, no, I, I was saying it on the radio. I said, sometimes you pay for the past. I love Miguel Cabrera. I'm willing to pay for the past. And sometimes you pay for the future. You pay for what a guy's going to do. Sometimes you pay for what he's done. But it's not, I, I think it's bad advice to say you only pay for what he's done. Never pay for what he might do. I, it's just think, because even the guy who's done it, still you're paying for what he might do. You just have more indicators of what he might do. Anybody very well might not do it again this year. Right. It's just an indicator. It's not a cause. It's not going to cause him to do anything this year. It's just an indicator that he has the skill set to do it. It boggles the mind that people think they're getting something from last year's guy. You're not getting anything. Everybody just got their skills. And if a guy's put up great numbers, you're like, wow, that's a really good – you get a good idea numerically about his skills. But, you know, like Bryce Harper last year was going late second – and it's like, well, he's never earned late second money. Why would you draft him in a late second? Right. 
because everybody knows what his skills are. It wasn't a mystery that he's got 80 power on the 20 to 80 scale. That 80 power got foisted on the opposing pitchers last year. And what happened? He hit a ton of home runs and had 1,100-plus OPS. That's, that's what happens when that kind of skill set meets the pitching staffs that are facing him. And that's all we're doing is figuring out skill sets meeting pitching staffs. And it can come from the numbers that tell you what a skill set it is, or it can come from enough numbers, the right age, and scouting. It doesn't really matter how you get to the aggre- aggregate um, portrait of the, the, the guy that you're drafting. Yeah, I totally agree, but I'm the guy who keeps betting on Strasburg to put it all together one year or so. It doesn't always work. but No, I mean, yeah. look, I've, I, I always get these prospects who don't do shit. I, I had jerks in Profar a couple of years. He got hurt. Usually when the guys stay healthy, they do. I mean, sometimes they stay healthy and they're a bust. And finally, what do you think of Billy Hamilton? I got him in the 10th round of the Friends and Family. I just think, what, you know, go ahead. I was just going to say, what about the opposite of this? Like, Zach Granke, should he be bumped for a new environment? Like, we've seen what he's done, you know, in the past, but he's typically, I mean, if we were basing it off his last year's stats, it'd be an easy top three fantasy starter, but, but most of us have him not even top 10 because of a change in environment. Isn't that kind of similar to a guy we're thinking is going to be on the come? Yeah, I, I have him low. He's got way worse. You know, Wellington Castillo is a bad pitch framer. The guys in L.A. are elite pitch framers. He's losing that. He's losing the park. Um, he got paid, and not that that always affects guys, but it can sometimes. I, I mean, I, I think he'll be okay. He's probably a Hall of Fame pitcher if he keeps it up for a few more years, but I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not taking him over even like – I don't think I would take him over Archer. Right, right. I haven't ranked very closely. I've just, I was just kind of given the reverse side of that. You know, yeah. people, I don't ever hear people argue that when their situations have changed, but they've had this great, you know, right. very recent, um, you know, stats that, that show Billy Hamilton, I'm out on. Um, I've seen him getting a lot cheaper, which is, which is obviously why you got him and in labor, uh, Derek Cardi loved his price. Whatever the news, he's going to hit lower in the order shouldn't be shocking to anyone. I mean, his on base percentage no. was what, 260 last year? I mean, I still think he's going to run. And um, if you get him cheap enough, I get it. I know what you're saying. You don't need as many steals. But um, I just – I don't know. I, I loved the guy, and I've just been burnt watching him play. He played – I mean, he's good defensively, and Cincinnati doesn't have any glaring option, you know, alternative. But um, I'm, I'm personally out on him and own zero shares. It's funny. I own only one share, but you and I have a big bet, so now it actually is important. And Jeff was out too, and he said, I just can't watch this guy play. It's just he wastes so many at-bats. He's terrible to watch. And I wonder if that's – artificially depressing a stock, the uh, aesthetics of Billy Hamilton at the plate. But I will say that him moving down the order is, is obviously bad because it's going to cost him at bats. But for him, it's probably the least damaging of all players because I don't think if he gets on base, in the unlikely event he gets on base, that the pitcher is going to bunt him over. I think he'll just steal second and third, and the pitcher can try to b- squeeze him home or swing away. Like, I don't think they're going to waste – they're not going to – I just think he's going to take off anyway. And secondly – um, it's worse for him to be a leadoff guy when he's got a 270 on base percentage, and it's just like a problem for the team. In a way, you just put him back there and forget about it, let him play defense. Maybe it'll kind of let him relax a little. And third, if you look at his numbers from 2014, he wasn't that bad. He hit like two, 260, I want to say, 250, 260. On base was like closer to 290. He was like a 650 on base guy, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, not on base. Right. That'd be pretty good. Right. A 650 OPS guy. 648. Yeah, 648, right. right? And that's like. You know, it's bad, but if you're an elite defensive center fielder and you're adding a lot of slugging on the base paths, I mean, I call it slugging because if a single's a double, then that's, you know, another, you know, obviously that should, that, that's as if you hit a double. But that's not a terrible player on a rebuilding team. And I think if he could just be as good as he was two years ago, 
and then steal at the, at the rate that he did last year, then you're talking about you know a 75 steal guy. The counterargument that Jeff made is he thinks that pit pitchers figured him out after the. He said he was really good the first half of 2014, really was terrible the last two months, and carried that into 2015. And he just thinks pitchers know how to deal with this guy now. Yeah, I'm worried about it, but a couple couple things. Um, so that two years ago, in which you said he was he was fine. In 563 at-bats, batting a top of lineup and being the fastest guy in baseball, it's pretty remarkable he only scored 72 runs. So he almost is just a single-category player. And you do worry about the 226 batting average last year. But as you alluded to, in 150 fewer at-bats, he stole more bases last year and was caught stealing 15 times less. So he became a better runner. Yeah, so he's an elite base runner, elite defender, and... You know, he doesn't have to be good. He just has to – if he hits 250 or 260, which shouldn't be that hard for a guy that fast, he can be a valuable player in your lineup. He's not going to kill I, you in batting average. He could score 80 runs, you know, but being at the bottom of the lineup is going to cost him some runs. I mean, that's going to cost him 10 runs right there. Well, the thing is he might kill you in batting average is a thing. But um, I, I just like uh, Gerard Dyson 10 rounds later. Hell, I like him almost at the same price. I, I don't love the oblique he's dealing with. So he's going to miss the first couple of weeks, but – you look at his on-base and his stolen base per at-bats, and he's looking at regular playing time for the first time. I just like him, personally. If you, yeah. I mean, I would prop that somehow if we could. Yeah, here's the problem with Dyson, and I did draft him at your behest. And the only thing I've ever let you influence me on, so he better be good. <laughs> but it was like the 22nd round. <laughs> right, right. But, and and, and I'm going to hold on to him a little bit while he has this oblique to see if he right. plays. I don't know that he really plays. I mean, he last year, Gordon got hurt for like eight weeks. Alex Gordon was out for a lot of the season, and – it was like sometimes it was Dyson, sometimes it was Paulo Orlando. You know, it was, they didn't just give Dyson the job last year, and so I don't know that they're going to stick with him this year. Yeah, I definitely like him far more in um, in daily transaction league. I will admit that. Right, where you can just plug him in for a day. I, he's just too. He just doesn't play enough. I just think he's a he's just a fourth outfielder type, and they don't see him. He's not playing center field. See, that guy's your corner outfielder. I mean, Jared Dyson can't be your corner outfielder. Yeah, I'm a World Series champion, defending champion team that that is going to intend to get there again. They play good defense, put the ball in play, and run a lot. I mean, if there's any team that they might put up with it, but I hear you, I got you. But I mean, I'm just saying, I think he's similar to Billy Hamilton. It comes cheaper. Yeah, but because Billy Hamilton plays an elite center field, full time, that's the difference. Sure, and that's partially why he's going ten rounds yeah, earlier. Right. That there's that chance that he. I don't think Dyson gets past forty steals because he won't play enough. Okay, so let's. I want to talk a little politics with you. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, and we didn't really talk about it last week. It looked dire, right? Bernie didn't do as well in, in Ohio as he should have, and you know Illinois and, and Missouri were basically a push. He didn't really win any of the states, and then since then he's come out of blowouts in states that he was favored, but not eighty twenty favored. But he's been just blowouts. He's now suddenly favored in Wisconsin. Before uh, the polls showed that she was favored. And it's getting to the point where if he wins another one, you know, she hasn't won in a while. And it's like all her wins were front-loaded. A lot of early voting, people voted before the actual primaries. He won, like, the same day voting. There was a lot of fraud in uh, Arizona where they basically the, the networks were calling it for Hillary <clears throat> while the polls were still open. I mean, that's just terrible practice. Like, there's people waiting to vote, and they're calling it on TV that it's over. That's terrible. And then they cut down the number of polling places from, like, 100-something to 40 and a lot of the Sanders supporters were just online for five hours and couldn't, couldn't just didn't have time or the thing closed before they could get there. And so there's all this – Arizona's like a big problem. That's the only state she's won in the last six. And so if he wins Wisconsin bigger than we think, if he doesn't just win at 55-45 but wins at like 62-38, and if uh, 
all the college kids can put down the bong for five minutes and actually go and vote. That may happen. Man, I don't know. I, I, you know, she's got this indictment hanging over her, or not indictment, but this investigation. He's rolling through these states. Clearly, she did well in states that the Democrats can't win. And also, while she was the known celebrity and he was an unknown, like that was a huge advantage for her early. I, I don't know, man. I, I think he's going to be the nominee. Okay, a couple things. Um, and isn't she also putting her – because she's such a favorite now, putting her resources into presidency and not, not winning this Democrat? And that might you know, obviously backfire if she, if she considers this a win already. You know, I, I feel like that's partially an issue. And isn't it going to come down to like New York and California, right? Isn't that going to be pretty huge? New York's going to be huge because he's going to be on this huge roll, and New York was her home Senate state. And right. she's heavily favored in New York. And if he could pull out even a small win in New York – Man, that would be huge. It would just – it would be like a tidal wave. I, I don't think she could recover. I think she's probably going to win in New York by a small margin. But Nate Silver even said, like, it's unlikely that either of them get to the, the end with uh, enough delegates to seal it without the superdelegates. That there's yeah. a very good chance she's up like 200 delegates or 100 delegates by the end or something like that or 50 or 80 or whatever. And then it's in the hands of the superdelegates. If, you're, if you only care about electing a Democrat, you should really vote Bernie because he's polls way better against the Republicans. He's not under investigation. There's no other shoe that can drop in that way. And, um, you know, he doesn't have nearly the baggage okay, that she has. So there, there's that, right? But um, – and, and the superdelegates – and also he's won, like, almost all the swing states. And he's way more popular on, in, among independents. He's, like, far more – and those are who usually decides elections. And then finally, he, she's got, like, the second highest negatives – for a nominee, a potential nominee uh, in history. The only one who has higher is Trump. <coughs> so they have, both have huge negatives. Bernie has the least negatives by far of anyone in the race. He's, he's very well liked. So the case is, hey, it's pretty damn close. I won. If you start at March 1st, I'm dominating. She won some early Southern primaries that there was early voting. People didn't even know who he was. And I'm dominating the swing states, and I poll better. So come on, switch. Let's, let's do it. You know, let's give, give the guy to, who's going to win. The problem is... They are all like total tools, those uh, super delegates, most of them. They're just owned and paid for. And so I, I don't know if like a logical case is going to sway them. But it's going to be a contentious situation if they're both short of the number and he's won most of the last ones and she wins because the super delegates pick her. All right. So I have a friend uh, named Robbie who emailed me this and he's a Hillary guy. Uh, he says he agrees with the Bernie um, policies, but he just thinks if you know Obama had such a hard time with the Republicans pushing back on all his policies, he thinks Bernie will have a 10 times harder um, issue with that. That's, that's his argument. He sent me this. says that, yeah, so Bernie is supposedly getting screwed over by the superdelegates. Do you know right now in the popular vote, uh, Hillary is 2.5 million more? Yeah, well, she was, I think, before the last ones, but she's up a bunch. But you got to understand, like, so much of that lead, in fact, I would say all that lead is from the South, right, which is not going to be, those are going to all go Republican anyway, okay? And then two... That because so much of that was built up when people didn't even know who he was, right? Literally, there's people who are lifelong Democrats like, oh, yeah, Democrat. Who's the person? Oh, yeah, it's Hillary Clinton. I know she is. That's who I'm voting for. And, you know, the media did not cover him. You know, covered her, mostly covered Trump and her. It, it did not want anything to do with him. And so nobody knew who this guy was. So, so much of that lead was racked up early. Count the, you know, the, the popular vote in the last month. When, you know, both candidates have been debating a bunch, when both people, when everybody knows who both of them are, and he's winning. Second, that, that argument is just so dumb, okay? They're not going to work with Hillary any more than they're going to work with Obama or Bernie. 
They're not going to work with her at all. You know, you know what they will work with her? They'll work with her to start more wars. She loves to start wars. She, try, she was the one who really advocated for the intervention in Libya, which is a total disaster. And then she advocated for the Syria intervention, which Obama wisely did not do. Okay? She has advocated and she voted for Iraq. Oh, yeah, when she wants to do that and support fracking and stuff, yeah, sure, the Republicans will work with her. That's why she can work with them, because she protects Wall Street, she supports uh, you know, fossil fuels, and she goes to war. Yeah, of course, she'll get agreement with them. They'll, they'll, she'll be able to reach out over the aisle. But on anything progressive, they're going to stonewall her just as badly as they did Obama, just as badly as they would Bernie. But Bernie's point is, of course that's going to happen. No one's going to be able to negotiate with them. They're not, seri- they're not a serious party. They're just there taking the money of the special interests, the fossil fuels. They're not going to like seriously work on climate change. Are you kidding me? That's their, their job is specifically to resist that. But, but the thing is, if you have millions of people demanding it and knowing and naming names and we know who's doing what, and, and, and the Trump uh, phenomenon is largely because a lot of the rank-and-file Republicans are starting to realize that these guys who pretended to have our back did not have our back. These douchebags in the Republican Party don't care about us. They, they realize that. They're woken up. So it's going to be a lot harder when the people are marching. And that's Bernie's thing is that no, no Democratic president is going to get cooperation. That's, just, that's, that's the fantasy. That's unrealistic. The only way you're going to get stuff done is if the people are up in arms voting these guys out of office, marching outside their, their, you know, the capital, state capital. So, you know, will that happen? I don't know. But that's the only possible way it could happen. Why would your friend think Hillary is going to get stuff done? I don't know, but I'm definitely going to play this for him. I, I, I like it. I, I, I mean, it, 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 she's not, they despise her. They despise her. They, they, obviously, they despise Obama partly for racist reasons. I really believe like a lot of the resistance is just he's black. But they hated Bill Clinton. They hate Hillary more than anybody. And they're going to hate Bernie, too. Don't get me wrong. But it's just that's why he's saying, look, none of this is going to work. For any of us. That's why you got to go outside the system and get the people motivated. And if they do, if they get motivated, there is a chance that the pressure when, when you know, because people, the only reason the Republican stuff even gets done is because no one's paying attention. If he, Bernie's argument is if people knew what they really did and stood for it and was just out in the open, they would be a, a fringe party. They'd be 5%. They'd have 5% of the population. It's just because nobody knows. They obfuscate. But they're starting to know. And the Trump rise is because they're starting to know how bad, how badly they've been treated by their own representatives. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I have one more question for you uh, of a different friend of mine wanted me to ask you, whom you've actually hung out with in Vegas a couple times. He knows your personality, and he saw you railing against Hillary on Twitter the other day. Right. And he's curious whom you would uh, vote for if, if it's her versus Trump. I would probably sit out. And, That's what I thought. Okay. And, and, and people, people say, that. how could you do that? It's, you're, you're a privileged person. You know, Some people don't have the luxury of surviving a, a Trump presidency. And, and, and my view is this. Think game theory. If you vote for Hillary, you're basically saying that the DNC strategy was right, that take the money from the fossil fuels in Wall Street, cover their asses, you know, not really care about you know, things like universal health care, you know, a legit minimum wage so people have a shot. Don't really give a shit about that. Triangulate, be, you know, take money from payday lenders, from frackers, all this stuff, and that's okay. And the best you're ever going to get is some corrupt, lying politician who doesn't really represent you, maybe on a couple social issues, she's fine on like the pro-choice stuff, but she doesn't really represent you. And that's the best you're ever going to get because they know that no matter what they do, you're too scared of the big bad Republicans and you're always going to vote with them. But if you sit out and say, you know what, I'm, you haven't earned my vote, okay? You're, you're not honest. You ha- you don't agree. I don't agree with your policy choices. I don't think you're a person of good character. 
and they lose because people like me didn't vote. Well, they'll be pissed at me. They'll be like, look what you did. There's a Trump. And I'll say, you know what? Next time, maybe Elizabeth Warren will win and, and they'll actually run her because they'll realize that they, that's who they need to get these votes. Long-term game theory, it moves them to the left, right? They're, they're, if they win by tacking to the right, then the people whose uh, preferences are, you know, things that most people care about, not putting, not having for-profit prisons, people in jail, all this stuff, the most people in jail, that stuff gets ignored if you're going to vote no matter what for that person. So I would say, don't think so short-term. Oh, no, it's so terrible. We must do this. Think long-term. How do you, who do you really want to vote for? And you're never going to get your – it's a game theory thing. You're settling for a very suboptimal outcome in the long term if you give up your vote for somebody just because you're afraid of somebody worse. I actually totally agree with you. And the obvious follow-up question, which is a bigger test, what about Cruz? That's the only circumstance under which I'd probably vote for <laughs> Hillary. I, I, I truly – Trump is – who the hell – I think Trump is a, is a total – I don't even know what he is. He's just kind of – he's kind of a clown, but he does have good political skills. I think he'd be bad, but I think he'd surprise to the good for everyone who's terrified of him. And I think Hillary would be – you know, would surprise to the bad. And then – so her and Trump would be very close in the end, like how good a job they did. Like there would be some ways in which, you know, one was worse than the other. But Cruz would deliver to the bad, okay? Like he wouldn't – he would deliver he, – he's a, he's a sick – sociopathic dude and hillary's just like a total lying lost person but but someone like that at least is like just malleable and 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 weak whereas cruz is just a psycho right and i think trump is kind of malleable and weak also that's the only circumstance in which i might just validate their dumbass strategy um is because i think cruz is like a game changer that's exactly what i figured I'm, I'm glad. To, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, are you on the same? Are you on the same page with, with all this? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, I, I might vote Hillary versus Trump, but but pretty much, I I, I generally agree with you. What yeah. What's the story you said about your buddy was like college roommates with with Cruz? Oh yeah. So uh, no, my my buddy dated a girl whose brother was a college roommate of Cruz at Princeton, and his quote was, "Even he's like I agree with Cruz about over nothing. There's no there's almost no issue on which we agree." But even if I agreed with him 100% on every issue, I would only hate him 1% less. Like, that's what <laughs> a douchebag he was. And what was the story that you, you saw? You got a story on the Bill Simmons podcast, right? Yeah, Bill Simmons podcast had, like, an Obama, a guy who, you know, was a speechwriter. And he, and he claims that uh, Cruz in college, another one in the dorms, got down $2,000 in a poker game. And instead of paying up, he went and told the RA that there was a legal gambling ring going on. Like that. Now, that is really, really bad. Yeah, that dude is gross. Oh, there's one last thing I want to say. I saw this thing. I don't know. It was a link from the New York Times comment, commenter to this mathematician based on the exit polling and, and then the results that Bernie's been cheated by a significant amount. That basically, like, there's almost one in, you know, many thousands chance that between the exit polling and the results that it would just be like that through luck that they think that there's some voter fraud, like some fraud going on on Clinton's behalf in the Democratic primary. I'll send you a link at some point. I don't, I don't know how legit it is because I, I can't really assess the math, but it doesn't seem like that. It doesn't seem like a crazy thing. And I know they pull up, they're pulling out all the stops. And, and a guy that I know tweeted something really interesting, this guy, Cenk uh, Uger, who's on the Young Turks. And if you guys ever want to watch election night coverage, Google the Young Turks and watch it live. They're just so much better than the garbage on MSNBC and CNN. And it's such toxic garbage. And they've also donated heavily to the Hillary campaign. and They never disclose that. But these guys are pro Bernie, but you know they they're upfront about that. They're not like it's not undisclosed. Uh, but he not was like saying, 
What's that? Not like the Daily Beast? Yeah, the Daily Beast, right? Writing all this kind of Chelsea Clinton's on the board. They don't mention it. But these guys are really good. Uh, one of the things they were saying is everyone's like, so if Bernie doesn't make it, are you Bernie supporters going to get behind Hillary? And he's like, no way in hell the corporate Hillary supporters are going to get behind Bernie if he wins. No way in hell are they going to lend their muscle to beat the Republican. They don't want Bernie in there taxing them and you know, taxing Wall Street. No way are the Hillary money people going to get behind Bernie. So that's, that's like, you know, it's pretty funny how that question only goes in one direction. Right. No, that is a good point. Well, I do not share your optimism about Bernie winning, but I have a couple bets and a couple. Well, just personally, I, I hope you're right. All right. This podcast, except for the political aspect of it, is brought to you by FanDuel.com. You can go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, use my code RWPOD, and sign up now. Special offer for new users. Get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with a $25 deposit. You must sign up with my promo code RWPOD. That's more than $60 in value for just 25 bucks. Don't forget to use my code RWPOD, FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. It's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today.